0: Hey everyone, this is Devin Townsend and you are listening to Sonic Perspectives.
1: Welcome to another interview with Sonic Perspectives. My name is Samantha Buckman, and today I am joined by Devin Townsend of Strapping Lad fame and his association with the Devin Townsend project, other solo projects, and much more. So now, usually when I interview an artist, it's because there's some big event coming up after some period of silence and anticipation, but it feels like I'm stepping into a revolving door of all of the great Devin Townsend works that have been going on in the future and in the recent past. <laughs> So in October though, two big projects. You've got your fifth quarantine concert and Biggest of All Order of Magnitude is coming out on October 23rd. So how yeah. are you doing leading up to those two?
0: You know I'm okay. I'm sure it's the same with you. You 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 have good days and bad days and um my work uh I'm fortunate for my work in so many ways and I'm fortunate as well that I immediately uh, was given the opportunity to sort of pivot it so I could continue during this time. And so I my days are very full, like always right now. In fact, arguably fuller than they have been in a long time. Uh, and I, uh, I'm doing okay, actually. You just got to take a deep breath sometimes, but I'm doing okay.
1: Now, Order of Magnitude is far from your first live release. So what makes this one so special and what was the process like leading up to it?
0: The process for this is in line with the process for the entire uh, career, in that each record is, I guess, best described as you're sort of peeling away a layer of the onion in hopes of figuring out what you, well, who you are, I guess. And Order Magnitude was a good step in that because up to that point, so much of my live work has been uh, revolved around backing tracks and click tracks. And I think a lot of the 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 feeling that people have towards that uh, and, you know, the negativity that maybe some people have towards backing tracks uh, is warranted. But for me, it's always been because I have such complicated music, really, or layered music, rather, that in absence of it, it just doesn't sound right to me. So I've always had to try and, replicate it somehow. And this one, the order of magnitude gave me the opportunity to experiment with what it would be like to do it with 10 people as opposed to backing tracks. And there's no click tracks, there's no backing tracks. And there's really there's really um, a sense of, of recklessness to it. And there's a sense of um, it could go either way at any point. That was really healthy for me, I think, as a musician and perhaps moving forward as well having gone through this it will contribute to my willingness to do it again in the future it was really a, a an important one for me compared to the old ones
1: what were the, the little, old ones uh, are
0: important too <laughs> sorry
1: <laughs> now what were the logistical difficulties with that
0: well there was a lot but i think i think i enjoy puzzles and um at least these sorts of puzzles. And so the logistics were really more in the planning stages where it came down to how do you how do you set this up? So with the 10 days we've got for rehearsal, and in those 10 days is a new crew, uh, all these video screens, and the video screens had to react real time. So it wasn't like there was videos that played consistently behind the band every time. I, I had a guy that was triggering things so he was improvising with the band at the same time and then trying to get 10 people who had never played together and all of these people maybe in a couple of instances it was different but but all these people this was their first time playing heavy music you know Che or or Morgan or, or Mike or Marcus they may have sort of flirted with that style before but no one had ever really Toured with it like that. Maybe Mike did with Death Clock, but other than that, they're all different cats. And so getting that together was there's a lot of logistical things to sort out. So the way that I approached it was six months prior, I started flying to where everybody was and setting up these Pro Tools sessions so that I had all the backing tracks that they would be hearing when we played together with a band. But then I would record their part separately. And then prior to meeting them, I would send them these sessions and say, just please learn that. And then I'll come meet with you for a week. I went to Berlin with Marcus and Stockholm with Morgan and San Diego with Mike and yada, yada, yada. And then I worked through it once they had learned it. I said, okay, this is what we're going to expect. And so by the time we got to those 10 days, which would have just been chaos had that not happened, everybody kind of came in, to a certain degree aware of what was happening and then those 10 days were spent just trying to come together as a band and you know it was touch and go as to whether or not it would work but it 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 did and i think a lot of the reason it did is just because the caliber of people involved was just so great and the attitudes were so healthy
1: so This has clearly been planned for quite a long time, and it seems the arc of the Empath release was very strategic. That came out in March 2019, and since then there was a European tour, obviously the North American tour, which got cut a little bit short. So where exactly does this fit into that release arc, and how did, uh, I guess, COVID throw it off?
0: (laughs) Well, I guess everything is an opportunity if you want to look at it that way. And if you don't want to look at it that way, COVID threw it off in every conceivable way, right? Um, how does it fit into the arc? I mean, I guess, well, that is, that's a good question. I The arc is based on a trajectory that occurs subconsciously, I think. I think my role in that arc is to just try and follow my intuition and then actualize it to the best of my ability. and. It seems now, so many records into this, that I can, kind of, I can kind of accept that that trajectory makes sense. And so the order of magnitude seemed to be inevitable, that if you're going to put this much effort into something that conceivably is only going to happen once for, for financial reasons or logistical reasons, um, it makes sense to capture it. And then by capturing it, it gave me an opportunity to mix it and edit it. And by doing that, I could analyze it. And that analysis of the work retroactively has always been a huge part of my creative process. Which, in a sense, as a side note, often explains why one record is so different from the last one. It's like, okay, well, having gone through that and the amount of effort it took to actualize it, uh, there's an analysis that comes with it. That's just inevitable. And so I guess the arc now with order of magnitude resulted in me saying, okay, well now the the volume two thing seems important for me to do. You know, the one that I did the green screen with strapping material. And why was that important? Well, because I recognized through the analysis of that, that the volume one was really for me. It was, I really wanted to choose a set list. I wanted to, Invest the money in in what was very clearly going to be a a, a challenging uh, situation, and so through it I recognize it now. I feel like it's important for me to give something to the audience that they wanted, and onward and onward. I don't think there's, I mean, it's all chaos, but I think that if you choose to look at your decisions amidst the chaos, um, there's a strange sort of sense that can be made out of it
1: so there's a lot of work that went into this um specifically order of magnitude both before its production and after its production so could you talk a little bit about what it was like i guess once the show was recorded once you had everything together so what exactly was your process on beyond that
0: (laughs) i didn't want to i didn't want to even think about it i mean it's such a daunting thing the mix of that was incredibly daunting and the editing of it and a lot of times I find something to factor in with any project I do now is there's going to be things that had that had gone astray there's going to be tracks that didn't get recorded or or video angles that had too much of a blue in it or something and fortunately there wasn't a lot of that that went on with this show but there was enough of it that I really had to do a lot of legwork prior to getting down to the creative aspects of a mix or the video editing, just to kind of get all the parts in one place. You know, we had um, issues trying to find all the multi-track and then lining certain things up and then the phase orientation. and And then the same thing with the video, there was one or two cameras that were out of sync that we had to try and find the offset for. And typically how we do that is, I'll fly to the UK or, or go to the people or or vice versa. But I guess to answer your question about how COVID played into it as well, that wasn't an option. So even the video editing, usually I sit with Paul Green in, in Manchester and we sit in front of it and I say, okay, that shot there, let's go through and see if there's another one. And that one there, uh, uh, there's actually something that's going on in the keyboards that to me is more of a focus of that part. And so it's easy in that sense. He's like, okay, I'll focus on the keyboard player. But this time it's like a two hour long show. And I was just like making notes and I, I suck at typing. And so Paul would send back the edit and I'm like, well, there's actually this one thing between 1043 and 1045 that needs to be, there's see if there's a camera angle that captured this stuffed animal falling or something. And it was a nightmare. So that became logistically crazy and we solved that by me just I did a I watched the video, his rough cut from home with a microphone, and then I recorded myself giving comments. And then I sent those comments to a friend of mine who then transcribed it into notes with timestamps. And then I sent that to Paul and then he sent it back. You know what I mean? It's like and I knew it was going to be that way. So there's a part of me prior to getting into it, that I was like, can I just write some songs for a couple of weeks before I get into this? Because that's not fun work.
1: <laughs> if there's anything that can describe your work, it is attention to detail. That is incredible. Um, and in that vein of attention to detail, one thing that I've noticed, and this applies to um, a lot of your shows and definitely your music, it's density very dense the imagery for this has been very dense and the music itself is very complex so how do you balance especially in the live environment the complexity of the imagery especially in those video screens and the other stuff you incorporate with the complexity of the music
0: another good question i mean i think i think i surround myself with people who i think are brilliant and my process typically is that i've got an overarching sentiment that i'm trying to establish for either a section or a song or a show or a project or, or, or anything right and so i'll sit with the people whom i then delegate these things to mike st john's a good example i'll say okay for this this is what i want it to be this is how my vision is uh you know take the green screen thing that i just did um you know we're all going to do it we're going to have similar camera angles He'll record first, I'll record to his stuff and film myself at the same angle. Then I send that to the drummer or to the bass player and then he records himself to both our parts with the same camera angles and then blah, blah, blah. Then we do it and we send it to the people in Serbia and then this is the aesthetic that I'm thinking. And then I move on to something else. I feel that once I've been able to explain to people what it is that my idea is, I'm fortunate to be in a position typically where those people can then run with it. And I can do that with a lot of different aspects of a production. I can do that with even the instrumentation. I can say, um, you know, on the Empath record, there was a section in, uh, I think it was Hear Me, where it's going really fast, it's really fast. And then all of a sudden, my idea was that the feeling was that you're running a race and then your shoelaces come untied and you trip. So it's like, chorus. Right. And so what I did was I had Mike Keneally come to Vancouver and I said, okay, so this section here is the shoelace tripping section. And he had me sing that into his phone. He says, okay, what's the part go? And I go, and then he took that scat of mine and he translated it onto guitar and then he played that and then I took that guitar and then I orchestrated the keyboards around it and then that section was done and while he was figuring out the transcription for the guitar, I was off working on something else. And so my process now involves a lot of people that I can kind of vomit these ideas on and then they're invested enough in the project that they're willing to pursue that and they have enough respect for the vision that they come back and they say is this right as opposed to trying to impose their own vision on it they say is this right and I can say "Oh, it's cool but this here maybe we can move that up a semitone or, or what have you and by doing it that way by a lot of delegation, and by a lot of trust, and also by a lot of, you got to be casual about it too, because I think if I was trying to delegate these things with a a steel fist, then it becomes this kind of authoritarian thing. And that's the antithesis of what I'm trying to do with it. I really want it to be fun. I really want it to be creative. I really want it to be Casual. And most of the people, as this is the last thing I'll say, about most of the people that I participate with this stuff, uh, in this stuff with, um, when we're not working, we don't talk about work. I know it seems like a small thing, but it really goes a long way. And it also is a testament to how the only way I feel that you can get these complicated things actualized in a way that are as intense as I want them to be. Is to not give them that intensity during the process. If you, if you make it like this is the most important thing in the world and this is the most important piece of this song and this is, you know, if we, if we fuck this up, it's gonna be bad news for everybody. Then I think it gets harder. But if you're just like ah, there's a bunch of stuff. Let's just do that. Someone's tripping on a shoelace. Let's just do that. It becomes easier.
1: So. What would you say you're most looking forward to about getting Order of Magnitude out there?
0: I don't even remember. I don't even remember that I did it. I'm doing all these interviews this week and I'm in the middle of five other projects. And so having to go back to Order of Magnitude, I'm just like, oh yeah.
1: <laughs> and uh, speaking of going back to things, you, um your end of October quarantine concert, will, you said will be Rarities by request. So what really yeah. inspired you? To say, I'm just going to take the Devin Townsend deep cuts and let the people choose.
0: I mean, I've done Kingdom Live 75 times. You know, it's, uh, I've been bored of it since the fourth time. So I can't imagine that the audience in a time like this, where we're looking to entertain, I'm looking to try and, my, what I bring to the table is music. That's what I can do to kind of help in the ways that I can. you know, um, And I w- wouldn't wanna see the same set list over and over again. And, and fortunately, I've got so many freaking records that most of it's never been played. And if I made the decision as to what gets played, I'd probably just go for all the easy stuff because as much as I work, I tend to be a little lazy when it comes to putting in the effort for those things. So to avoid that being my default, I ask people what they want. And much to my chagrin, all the choices that they have chosen are the hardest ones. Like, my God, all the songs that I'm having to do now for this show are just a nightmare. So, hooray.
1: Well, I can say I'm eagerly awaiting the nightmare.
0: (laughs) Yeah, me too. Yeah, but I think there's something... I saw an interview with Johnny Knoxville yesterday and he said something I thought was great. Someone said, the question I asked him was, um, what would you tell people who, who uh, are dealing with failure? I forget what the, the, how it was, how it was posed, how the question was posed, but his answer I thought was fantastic. He's just like, if you're not failing, or if the potential for failure isn't there, then you're just not trying hard enough. And I thought that was great. Because if I, you know, if you play the same thing over and over and over and over again, eventually it's like it becomes streamlined and super slick. But if you're trying to push forward, which is what I'm trying to do, it's always been what I'm trying to do, like on a personal level or artistic level or psychological level. That's like, I'm just drawn towards moving forwards. And the only way that you can move forward is if you put yourself in a position where the potential for failure is massive. (laughs)
1: Well, it is fantastic that you're doing something like that. That's something unique nice. and certainly entertaining during these nice. difficult times.
0: <laughs> thank you. So,
1: well, thank you so much for your time and your insight this afternoon. And well I done, hope Samantha. Weather comes quickly.
0: Yeah, me too. I um, I like it when it rains. That's my favorite weather. I just, you know, I love it when it's like miserable, I, and it's not because I want to be miserable. I just think it means that that way, you know. People aren't mowing their lawn, and and you don't have to go outside and talk to people about the fact it's sunny. It's just everybody stays inside, and it's like I love that. So, good luck, and thank you so much for it. And uh, I hope your life is okay, and I hope that everything goes okay with you. You know, I know it's a hard time, so take care of yourself and your loved ones, and maybe we'll see each other again soon.
1: Definitely, same to you. Take care. Bye bye. Bye bye. You just heard another interview. From Sonic Perspectives with Devin Townsend speaking on Order of Magnitude coming out October 23rd. For more interviews like this one and much more, make sure to follow Sonic Perspectives on Facebook and Twitter and subscribe to our YouTube channel. To close out today's interview, we will be playing Genesis.